want to look at several things today. Were it not for the overruling hand of a sovereign God, the Jewish nation could never had accomplished what God had called them to do, uh, bearing witness of the one true and living God and writing the scriptures and bringing the Savior into the world. There are now two kingdoms instead of one in, the, in our point where we're at in the book of 1 Kings, going through studying it here in Sunday school. Uh, there's leaders and common people in both kingdoms. In both Judah, which there's two tribes, there's Judah and Benjamin, and then there's the ten tribes that were originally under Jeroboam. You had the two tribes, remember when Rehoboam made the very foolish decision and decided to listen to his young friends rather than his old advisors. And as a result, the nation's spines. So these two nations, these two, not nations, but these two, uh, uh, I guess nations, kingdoms, I guess if you would, uh, are separated, but they're separated and they're both still into idolatry. The priests carried on the temple ministry and, uh, and they did this for 345 years from the time of Rehoboam to King Zedekiah. Only eight of Judah's 19 kings were ever classified as good. Eight out of 19. That is less than half of the kings of Judah that were at all classified as good. As for Israel's 20 kings, Israel, remember the 10 tribes, the northern tribes, there under Jeroboam. If I say Israel, I'm meaning the 10 tribes. So Israel's 20 kings, for the most part, were all self-seeking men who were classified as evil. Not one of them. Not one king was classified as good by God. Twenty kings. Remember that Israel, the ten tribes that departed from uh, Judah and Benjamin, these ten tribes, they started with Jeroboam starting Baal worship. Now keep in mind the books of Kings and Chronicles, they don't record history uh, from exactly the same perspective, but they give us some parallel accounts. The focus in First and Second Kings is on the kings of Israel. The First and Second Chronicles is the emphasis on David's dynasty in Judah. Uh, the northern kingdoms of Israel, also later called Samaria, uh, use different systems in keeping official records. So there's some various there's some differences there in the records that you may see. Uh, in Judah, the king's reign was counted from the beginning of the next calendar year after he began to reign, while in Israel the count began uh, with the year the king actually ascended to the throne. Uh, some kings would have their sons that would uh, come after them, and then you had others uh, that were chosen as kings. So these, there's some complications in how we look at it, how long a king would reign, and understanding you know, exactly how many years he would, he would reign, but... Um, there is sometimes some disagreement above biblical chronologists uh, on this. But I want to look at several things here as we look at these kings. In 1 Kings 15, I want to read for you uh, what's going on here. And uh, we're going to read a little bit lengthier portion of Scripture. Uh, but let's start off with Abijah. 1 Kings chapter 15, verse 1. Now in the 18th year of King Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, reigned Abijam over Judah. Three years reigned he in Jerusalem, and his mother's name was Meacha, the daughter of Abashalom. And he walked in all the sins of his father, which he had done before him. And his heart was not perfect with the Lord, his God, as the heart of David his father. Nevertheless, for David's sake, did the Lord his God give him a lamp in Jerusalem, 
to set up his son after him and to establish Jerusalem. Because David did that which was right in the eyes of the Lord and turned not aside from anything that he commanded him all the days of his life, save only in the matter of Uriah the Hittite. And there was war between Rehoboam and Jeroboam all the days of his life. Now the rest of the acts of Abijam and all that he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Judah? And there was war between Abijam and Jeroboam. And Abijam slept with his fathers, and they buried him in the city of David, and Asa his son reigned in his stead. So we start off here with Abijam uh, in this. The son of Rehoboam was handpicked by his father because of his proven abilities. 2 Chronicles 11.22 tells us this. And Rehoboam made Abijah, uh, the son of Meachah, the chief, to be ruler among his brethren, for he thought to make him king. So obviously Rehoboam, David, Solomon's son, which would be David's grandson, King David's grandson, so his great-grandson was Abijah, or as we see here, uh, Abijam. But uh, he only reigns three years. He was from David's line through his parents. He didn't have David's perfect heart. He had a heart, again, on the politics, on the money, but it wasn't on God. And he kept a running war with Jeroboam. There was kind of this, this idea uh, of these two tribes, Judah, which is Judah and Benjamin. Judah and ben, There's this idea that you belong with us. You separated from us. You need to come back. And so there's this war between these two nations. But they persist in their evil, they persist in their idolatry, and God allows the fighting to continue, the conflict. Abijah knew his history and he had faith in God and what God said to Moses and to David. He had the courage to preach to Jeroboam and his army. 2 Chronicles 13, look with me here. Here in 2 Chronicles, we'll come back here, 1 Kings 15. But in 2 Chronicles, in a parallel account, a little bit more information on Abijah's ministry... Uh, or his, his work, 2 Chronicles chapter 13, verse 4. 1 Kings, 1 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles 13, uh, verses 4 and 5. So he preaches to Jeroboam's army of 800,000 men. He's only 400,000. Here in 2 Chronicles 13, 4, And Abijah stood up upon Mount Zemarim, which is in Mount Ephraim, and said, Hear me, thou Jeroboam, and all Israel. Ought ye not to know that the Lord God of Israel gave the kingdom of, over Israel to David forever, even to him and his sons by a covenant of salt? You remember that the, the Davidic covenant that God had given to David, saying, There shall not fail thee to, stand, uh, to sit a man on the throne of Israel forever. Now, obviously, the, the fulfillment of that is the Lord Jesus Christ who sits on the throne. But this idea of you belong to us, and there's this rift. Remember, God also told Jeroboam, Jeroboam, you follow me. You're going to have your descendants. I will perpetuate this kingdom. But Jeroboam quickly went into idolatry because it gave him power over the people. This was a prominent place, the border between Benjamin and Israel. He opens his sermon. He says, listen, Jeroboam, you need to remember what God gave to David. Now, sometimes we like to use scripture, uh, you know, to throw it in someone's face and say, hey, here's what the Bible says. <laughs> They're not in the right spiritual sense and you're not in the right. But the Bible here is, so he's trying to do this and listen, Jeroboam, you just need to uh, bow down and uh, you need to get right and you need to help us join everyone back together. We need to be 12 tribes again. The covenant of salt here 
uh, Numbers 18.19 tells us about this. It's a perpetual covenant. In Numbers 18.19, it says, All the heave offerings of the holy things which the children of Israel offer to the Lord have I given thee and thy sons and thy daughters with thee by a statute forever. It is a covenant of salt forever before the Lord unto thee and to thy seed with thee. So anticipating uh, this argument, you know, explains why the nation is divided. 2 Chronicles 13, 6, look with me here, if you're still there in 2 Chronicles 13. Yet Jeroboam and the son of Nebat, the servant of Solomon, the son of David, is risen up and hath rebelled against his Lord. And there are gathered unto him vain men, the children of Belial, children of the devil, and have strengthened themselves against Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, when Rehoboam was young and tender-hearted and could not withstand him. Now ye think to withstand the kingdom of the Lord in the hand of the sons of David, and ye be a great multitude, and there with you golden calves, which Jeroboam made you for God. I mean, he's just saying, listen, you're an idolater and you're wrong. Your people came against the, the rightful heir to the throne, Rehoboam, when he was young. He, he, you know, there were some things. He just wasn't strong. He wasn't a, a mature man. And there's growing. He said, you came against him. And he, Rehoboam made a very foolish decision. Uh, he, you know, he said, my dad taxed you. I'm going to whip you with scorpions. I mean, he was just, he was wanting to be a dictator. And it didn't work out very well. And so God allowed Israel an opportunity uh, with Jeroboam to make things right, to be, is, to be a God's candle, a light to the world that there is a God, that there's one God, there's only one God. And there's an emphasis on the legitimacy of the Davidic dynasty, Davidic being David's dynasty. And so he goes through this, in the, and you'll find in 1 Chronicles 17, 1 Chronicles 28, 29, uh, 2 Chronicles 9, there's this idea of the perpetuation of David's lineage, that uh, one child after another of those children, the descendants, would be king. And it would all go back to David. And we understand that's in tracing the lineage from uh, Mary uh, back to uh, David. And then also, uh, there's also, so we find this lineage. Again, God's word is exactly true to what it says. Not one thing is false. So having settled the matter that think that David should be sitting on the throne, one of his descendants, Abijah reminds Jeroboam, look with me at verse 8 of 2 Chronicles 13. He says, and now ye think to withstand the kingdom. The kingdom of whom? The Lord. He says, listen Jeroboam, you're up against God. And he was. Now, Abijah didn't have a right heart. And uh, in the hand of the sons of David, and ye be a great multitude, there are with you golden calves which Jeroboam made for you gods. Jeroboam made several places of gods so that Israel, the, those in Israel would not go back to Jerusalem and thereby put their allegiance back to the rightful king. Uh, have ye not cast out the priests of the Lord? He says, listen, you, because you wanted to live for yourself and your money and your idols, you got rid of those who preach God's truths. You got rid of them. The sons of Aaron and the Levites have made you priests after the manner of the nations of other lands, so that whosoever cometh to consecrate himself with a young bullock and seven rams, the same may be a priest of them that are no gods. He says, listen, Jeroboam, you are elect, you're putting into place 
pastors, if you would, who are not qualified to even be a pastor. As long as they have money, you'll make them a pastor. You'll make them a priest. That's what it would have been at that time. Verse 10, but as for us, the Lord is our God, and we have not forsaken him, and the priests which minister unto the Lord are the sons of Aaron, and the Levites wait upon their business. And they burn unto the Lord every morning and every evening burnt sacrifices and sweet incense. The showbread also set they in order upon the pure table, and the candlestick of gold with the lamps thereof to burn every evening. For we keep the charge of the Lord our God, but ye have forsaken him. And behold, God himself is with us, for our captain and his priest with sounding trumpets to cry alarm against you. O children of Israel, fight ye not against the Lord God of your fathers, for ye shall not prosper. He tells him, he says, listen, we're still doing the offerings. We're still doing everything we should. Now, just because you're doing your prayers and reading your Bible and those sorts of things does not necessarily mean you're right with God. Because the heart can still be set on the idols. He, but he's trying to say, listen, we're, do, we're checking all the boxes of what's a good Christian. Now, the only divinely authorized temple of God was in Jerusalem. And, and that's what he's saying. He says, we have God's temple with us. Judah worshipped the one true and living God. Israel worshipped two golden calves. Israel's priests were hirelings. They were just hired. If they had enough money and they had enough credentials, they were, divine, they were appointed by uh, the king. Whereas in Israel, with the temple, they had Levites who were divinely appointed by God, going back to Aaron's sons. Aaron and himself and his sons. So he's saying, we have God. You have idols. So, and then he's saying, he's saying God is with us. He's not with you. If Israel attacked Judah, Israel was fighting against the Lord. And Abijah's centuries weren't long doing a very good job. Uh, while Abijah was speaking, Jeroboam's soldiers moved behind him and set up an ambush. If Judah attacks, then the 800,000 of Jeroboam would come in and ambush him. They would come from the front and they would come from behind. I mean, this is, this is a massive civil war. Abijah is now up for the challenge, and this is a part where he did do well. He cries out to God for deliverance. He says, I'm up against an enemy twice my size. There's no way we can win. He cries out for help. Over half of Jeroboam's army was slain by the army of Judah. Abijah's soldiers moved north to capture the city of Bethel, 10 miles from Jerusalem. The word uh, Bethel, this idea the house of God. Bethel in, in Hebrew means house of God. Bet, B-E-T, in Hebrew is house. And El, or like uh, Elohim, is God. So you have Bethel, house of God. From Bethel they moved five miles north and took Jeshana, and four miles northeast to take Ephraim, Ephron. Abijah not only defeated the army here, but he recovered some of the lost territory. Jeroboam recovered strength. Look with me at verse 20 of 2 Chronicles 13. Neither did Jeroboam recover strength again in the days of Abijah, and the Lord struck him, and he died. But Abijah waxed mighty. Again, he's mar and then married 14 wives and uh, begat 20 and 2 sons and 16 daughters. That's 38 kids. That's a lot of children. That's a lot of children. In 1 Kings 14, going back to 1 Kings... 
Jeroboam reigned 22 years, but he didn't do well. Now, God did help Judah for the glory of his own name. Understand this, there's times God wants the glory. God wants us where he gets the praises of man. He wanted is when God prospered Israel, when God prospered Solomon with all that wealth and all that wisdom, and the queen of uh, Queen of Sheba, Sheba comes, Queen of Ethiopia, she comes and um, she looks at it and uh, she says, "Wow, all this wonders!" And she looks at all the wealth. And Solomon, as I had mentioned before, Solomon takes that. And he kind of like, wow, I am a smart man, but he doesn't give the praises back to God. Israel was to be in symbol, like what we as Christians are today, where people look to God and say, wow, how wonderful he is. Abijah become more and more powerful. He fathered many children. And God uses imperfect people to do his will. And there's times, even, I mean, all of us, we all have our flaws. There's all things that we're, God's working through in our lives. He's, he's getting rid of the rough edges, the, the hard parts of our life, and he's working on us. And uh, so God still uses Abijah. Now the next king that we come to, Abijah's son, Asa, let's look here in 1 Kings 15, and uh, we'll look at uh, several uh, verses here. Let's look at verses 9 through 11 to start this off. And in the 20th year of Jeroboam, king of Israel, reigned Asa over Judah, and 40 and one years reigned he in Jerusalem. And his mother's name was Meachah, the daughter of Abba Shalom. And Asa did that which was right in the eyes of the Lord, as did David his father. Amazing. He did what God wanted him to do. He did, but then it also mentions he did right in the sight of the Lord, but he also did right as David, his father. Many times you'll find in the scriptures in these various kings, they'll say he did right, but not as his father, or not as David, his father. So he'll do some good, but he doesn't go all the way. David, David had that one blight of the adulterous affair, but outside of that, David had a close walk with God. The Jewish people didn't identify with relatives uh, with the same precision that we do today, but there were three major divisions to Asa's uh, life and his reign. In verses 9 through 11, we first of all find peace and victory. Uh, thanks to his father's victory over Jeroboam, Asa had peace uh, with Israel, the first 10 years of his reign. 2 Chronicles 14.1, so Abijah slept with his fathers, and they buried him in the city of David, and Asa, his son, reigned in his stead. In his days, the land was quiet 10 years. So Asa rules for 41 years, but the first 10 years are years of peace. He led a reformation. Uh, 2 Chronicles 14, let's look and see what he does. We'll go back there, uh, obviously a parallel account of Asa's life. 2 Chronicles chapter 14, and uh, let's look at verses 2 through 5. Let's look at what Asa did, and it brings God's blessings. He leads a national reformation. He reformed Israel and brought them into the position of getting rid of idols. Look at verse 2, 2 Chronicles 14. And Asa did that which was good and right in the eyes of the Lord his God, for he took away the altars of the strange God in the high places and break down the images and cut down the groves and commanded Judah to seek the Lord God of their fathers 
And to do the law and the commandment also he took away out of all the cities of Judah, the high places and the images, and the kingdom was quiet before him. Verses 6 through 8, And he built the fenced cities in Judah, for the land had rest, and he had no war in those years, because the Lord had given him rest. Where do we find rest in our lives? God gives us rest. He gets rid of idols. He gets rid of high places. He gets rid of bad images from his life. And from Israel's life. He says, listen, this is God's country. We're going to make it about God. And they start getting rid of garbage. He fortifies the building, uh, the cities. He, he builds these defense cities. Uh, has an army of 580,000 men. Look with me. Verse 7. Therefore, uh, he said unto Judah, let us build these cities and make about them walls and towers, gates and bars, while the land is yet before us, because we have sought the Lord our God. We have sought him, and he hath given us rest on every side, so they built and prospered. And Asa had an army of men that bare targets and spears out of Judah, 300,000. And out of Benjamin that bare shields and drew bows, 204,000, 280,000. All these were mighty men of valor. But understand this, that it's only God that gives us peace in our life. He's only God that gives us rest in our spirits. So he uses this time of peace and rest, Asa does, to assemble an army to prepare for war. We understand this idea of, as we, we might have rest in our lives. <laughs> I had some rest last weekend, <laughs> unanticipated, okay? Uh, as I was up there, up north, and uh, I anticipate. But, as you think about this, this time of peace, and faith without works is dead, he says, listen, we've got to be working, we've got to be uh, defending, this is God's land, we need men, we need people prepared, uh, we need to get this place uh, uh, situated, where if we're attacked, we have an op opportunity to defend ourselves, protect the people there. So Asa is prepared. The Egyptian army attacks Judah, and who was a Cushite. And uh, two armies met at Merishah, about 25 miles southwest of Jerusalem today. Now, let's look at uh, verse 11. <clears throat> verse, we'll lead a little, a little further. And there came out against them Zerah the Ethiopian with an host of a thousand thousand. So he has 580,000 men, and he's coming against an Ethiopian man of a million people and 300 chariots, and came unto Marisha. Then Asa went out against him, and they set the battle in array in the valley of Zephatha at Marisha. And Asa cried to the Lord his God, and said, Lord, it is nothing with thee to help, whether with many or with them that have no power. Help us, O Lord our God, for we rest on thee, and in thy name we go against this multitude. O Lord, thou art our God, let not man prevail against thee. This is kind of a segue into my morning service. It's pretty interesting how this dovetails with the morning service, and you'll understand it as I come to the morning hour and preach. But he said, God, it's nothing with you. We have 580,000 men against a million-man army, 300 chariots, advanced technology. Only you, God, and I'm trusting in you alone, you can defeat them. And that's the right attitude. We get these opportunities, these stumbling blocks, these hard things that come into our life, uh, and oftentimes we fret and we worry. Asa cries to God. He says, God, it's nothing with you to defeat them. I mean, Zerah's army is almost twice as large. And, and he identifies Judah as having no power. 
you know what, it's pretty intimidating to come against an army twice your size and potentially an army much more well-versed in, in battle and warfare. As I was studying this and, 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 and I was looking and I was doing some devotions, it's, it's where the theme verse for this year came from. And uh, it, it's amazing to me, this idea that we have about our God. He alone wants the glory. He wants people to see that he is the real God. He also is potentially thinking about what Solomon had asked there at the temple dedication, 2 Chronicles 6, 34 and 35. And we find this sudden deliverance in the midst of battle is a repeated theme here uh, in 2 Chronicles, chapter 11, 14, 18, 20, and 32. So Asa's motive wasn't simply God, I, 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 just want, I need help to defeat this army. It's not about, I want to be a great commander, I want to be a great king. He says, God, it's nothing for you, and we need your help. You know, that it's a position of humility and weakness before God. But meekness and humility before God is really your place of strength. He wants to bring glory Remember when David approached Goliath in 1 Samuel 17, 45? He attacks the enemy army in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel. Why did David get so insulted at that Goliath, this giant? He says because he defied the armies of the living God. He doesn't want Israel to cower in fear when there is a living God. He's not a god. He's not an idol. The armies of the living God. He said he's living. He's alive. He's powerful. He's the creator. He put us together. We have all power on our sides. Why in the world are we cowering in fear? Let us move forward. Let's go against these giants in our lives. So David approaches, and obviously God took that stone in that little sling that David flung at his head. It hits him square in the forehead, and down goes Goliath forever into eternity. In response to Asa's prayer of faith, the Lord soundly defeats the Egyptian army. He enables Asa and his men to pursue them south to Gerar. They go forth saying, there is a living God. The Egyptian army was so thorough and so, and so humiliated that for 300 years, the Egyptian army never came against Judah again. It wasn't until 2 Chronicles 35 that Josiah comes against the Egyptian army. The Egyptian army says, listen, Josiah, how about you, you, you back out of this situation? We're not coming to war against you. We're leaving you alone. Josiah says, oh, you want to fight? Let's fight. You go to war, Josiah is killed. But it was 300 years later. I mean, Judah so destroyed the Egyptian army that they're like, we are not touching them. There's a living God protecting them. And you think about this. There's a living God. The Lord sent the prophet Azariah to meet Asa and the victorious army. I want you to turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 12, verse 21. Here's a message of encouragement, and then we'll go back to 2 Chronicles 16. But in 1 Kings chapter 12, (coughs) 
<clears throat> and uh, we're going to look at this, what Rehoboam, and then come uh, what we see with Asa. First Kings chapter 12, verse 21, And when Rehoboam was come to Jerusalem, he assembled all the house of Judah with the tribe of Benjamin, and hundred and fourscore thousand chosen men, so 180,000 men, were warriors to fight against the house of Israel to bring the kingdom again to Rehoboam, the son of Solomon. But the word of God came unto Shemaiah, the man of God, saying, Speak unto Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, king of Judah, and unto all the house of Judah and Benjamin, to the remnant of the people, saying, Thus saith the Lord, ye shall not go up, nor fight against your brethren. The children of Israel return every man to his house, for this thing is from the, me. They hearken, therefore, to the word of the Lord, and return to depart according to the word of the Lord. So the first part, there's this prophet sent to him. Now, in 2 Chronicles 16, 7, and at that time, Hanani the seer came to Asa, king of Judah, and said unto him, Because thou hast relied on the king of Syria, and not relied on the Lord thy God, therefore is the host of the king of Syria escaped out of thy hand. So uh, there's a time in the future where Asa begins to go away from God. And uh, he begins to flee uh, from what God wanted him to do. In 1 Kings 14.4, Jeroboam's wife did so and arose and went to Shiloh and came to the house of Ahijah. But Ahijah could not see, for his eyes were set by reason of his age. Azariah, he reviews the past dark days of the judges. When the nations didn't have a king, a godly priest. And the people had turned their idols, their land was overcome by the enemy. And Ace, <clears throat> so this idea of Israel goes into idolatry. They come out of it. I mean, David turns his heart. Solomon was just a weak man. Or Saul was, excuse me. Solomon was too. So he review, Azariah is reviewing what's gone on in the past. And what happened is, in this, uh, as Azariah is recounting this stuff, just says, listen, Israel went away from me and they were judged. Now, there's a reformation and renewal that Asa does. I mean, God gives him a tremendous victory over the Egyptians. Can you imagine having a war with an enemy and no longer having another war with that enemy until 300 years later? I mean, that is to set some fear and intrepidation in the hearts of your enemy, saying, we so uh, thoroughly and completely destroyed you, you're like, I'm not touching you with a 10-foot pole. But that's what God did. Coming to 1 Kings 15, verse 12, there's a reformation, Asa's reformation. 1 Kings 15, 12, and he took away the sodomites out of the land. He takes away all homosexuals, all homosexuality out of the land. He said, it does not belong here. And removed all the idols that his fathers had made, and also Meacha, his mother, ever, uh, even her, he removed from being queen because she made an idol in a grove. And Asa destroyed her idol and burned it by the brook Kidron. But the high places were not removed. Nevertheless, Asa's heart was perfect with the Lord all his days. And he brought in the things which his father had dedicated and the things which he himself had dedicated into the house of the Lord, silver and gold and vessels. Can you imagine this? I mean, he comes through, he says, listen, there's moral perversion in this land, I'm done with it. Understand this, when moral perversion comes into a land, that land is going to have some really awful times. Not only that, he says, mom, or grandma, you know, you're no longer queen. You're done. You're an idolater. You know what, it takes courage sometimes when there's those in our family 
that are going a direction often other than what they should, and we say, you know what? I'm going to have to make distance. I'm not going to be able to move forward. He takes courage. He says, listen, in my house, in this nation, it's all about God. It's all about God. God first. I don't want the idols. You know, oftentimes we can make idols of money. We can make idols of all sorts of things. But he says, listen, this is God's. So he takes this money and the wealth and he brings it to the temple of the Lord and he says, God, it's yours. Now this is possibly some, you know, some remnants of things he had taken in war. He removed the idols from the land. He repairs the altars of sacrifice, the courts of the priests. He says, listen, this is God's land. We need to do right. Solomon dedicated the temple in about the year 959, and Asa's 15th year was the year 896 B.C. So the altar had been constant use for over uh, 60 years. But he renewed it. He said, hey, the building's getting worn out. The altar's getting worn down. We need to make God's house look good. We need to make this place but it's one thing to remove idols from your land, from your house. And it's one thing to remove idols, but it's another thing to repair the altar. You can get rid of, but then you need to repair the place you give worship to God. The greatest need was to rededicate the people. They need to have hearts surrendered to God. And so the greatest need is to rededicate the people. In the 15th year of his reign, Asa calls for a great assembly to gather at Jerusalem to worship their Lord and renew their covenant. God, we are your kingdom. We're going to follow you. Not only did the people of Judah and Benjamin attend, but devout people from Jerusalem, Ephraim, Manasseh, and Simeon, which are part of Israel, the ten tribes, they come in and say, wow, something's going on there. They understand God's with Asa. Asa has God's hand on him. You know what? When we have God's hand on our lives, and we're doing as God wants us to do, people are going to notice it. Some aren't going to like it, but it's going to be noticed. I mean, Jesus Christ, obviously, he's God, and uh, had, had all God's power. And they noticed. Some hated him, even to the point of death. They assembled in the third month, <clears throat> And celebrate the Feast of Pentecost. At significant times throughout Jewish history, you'll find leaders renewing their commitment to God. I mean, you find Josiah, you find here with Asa, you find uh, Hezekiah. Uh, <clears throat> Hezekiah had the scrolls that were found, and he, he just ripped his clothes, and he said, Oh my, we've really deviated from the Lord. But here is Asa saying, We've got to get back to what we're all about. Why are we a nation? Why are, who are we? He said, God got us out of Egypt. God got us out across the Red Sea, across the Jordan River, into the Promised Land. When Saul was named king, Samuel calls for a, a, a renewal of the Lord. He calls for an assembly and a time to say, Israel, this is God's land. God gave you this. You didn't get it. God gave it to you. But many times we can take the blessings that God gives us. We think they're what... Uh, we've worked for, and then we use them for selfish motives. Spiritual revival, renewal, doesn't mean asking God for something new, but it means asking God and having a heart of a new devotion to Him, of what He's already given to us. 
He led the people to be rededicated in their covenant that it is God first and God alone. Then, something happens here. In verse 16 of 1 Kings 15, let's look at verses 16 through 24. Something happens. You can start your life right for God and finish (laughs) in an awful place. Sometimes you can start your life in a horrible place and finish doing all you can for God's glory. Unfortunately, in Asa's case, there's some relapse. Verse 16 of 1 Kings 15, there was war between Asa and Baasha, king of Israel, all their days. And Baasha, king of Israel, went up against Judah and built Ramah, that he might not suffer any to go out or come into Asa, king of Judah. Then Asa took all the silver and the gold that were left and the treasures of the house of the Lord. So at one part, he takes the money and he puts it into the Lord's treasuries, into the temple. Battle comes, hard times comes, he takes out of what belongs to God and he gives it over to an enemy. <clears throat> and the treasures of the king's house and delivered them to the hand of the, his servants. And King Asa sent them to Ben-Hadad, the son of Tibramon, the son of Hezion, king of Syria, that dwelt at Damascus, saying, There is a league between me and thee, and between my father and thy father. Behold, I have sent unto thee a present of silver and gold. Come and break thy league with Baasha, king of Israel, that he may depart from me. So Ben-Hadad hearkened unto King Asa and sent the captains of the host which he had against the cities of Israel and smote Ejon and Dan and Abel Beth Meacha and all Sinneroth with all the land of Naphtali. And it came to pass when Baasha heard thereof that he left off building of Ramah and dwelt in Terza. Then King Asa made a proclamation throughout all Judah. None was exempted and they took away the stones of Ramah and the timber thereof, wherewith Baasha had built it, and King Asa built with them Geba of Benjamin and Mizpah. The rest of all the acts of Asa and all his might, and all that he did, and the cities which he built, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Judah? Nevertheless, in the time of his old age, he was diseased in his feet. And Asa slept with his fathers, and was buried with his fathers in the city of David his father. And Jehoshaphat his son reigned in his stead. What an Awful thing to do. Basha, the king of Israel, fortifies Ramah. He goes to war. What happened when he was against the Egyptian king? What did, what did Asa do? He cries out, Oh, Lord God, is, it's nothing for you. It's not too hard for you. You can defeat him. And God just comes through and he wipes their, I mean, he just cleans their clock. Now he's got civil war. I need help. He doesn't go to God. He goes to money. He goes to his money to try to get enough money to pay another pagan entity to come against family, if you would, because of a lack of faith. There's a relapse, and I'll have to continue this next week. But I want us to understand that many times we can have one moment where God is glorified And another obstacle, another trial, another thing happens in our life and we begin to turning to money and our wisdom and our thinking and we forget about the God who delivered us before. We got to keep our hearts right. We got to keep our hearts and minds set on it's always about the glory of God. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. We thank you for your grace. Father, I pray uh, that you would just help us uh, to be soundly uh, set upon serving you. We thank you for what an amazing Savior you are. 
Father, I thank you, just as Asa would testify that, Lord, it is nothing with thee. Father, there's nothing too hard for you, Lord. But many times, Father, you don't want to work because, God, we're still trying to get the glory for ourselves. Father, I pray that you'd change our hearts and our minds to have a heart set on always bringing you glory. I love you. In the precious and holy name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.